And we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Heyo. And we have a very special guest, a uh, oft-talked-about, but uh, first some appearance of our good friend Nick uh, from our personal campaign. Nick, how you doing, man? Uh, Great, and it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with the uh, recent conclusion of our uh, nearly six-year campaign, wow, it's been a long time, of our uh, home game, and given that uh, your character has featured prominently on the show um, over these last, you know, 40 plus episodes, <laughs> um, we figured it was about time to, to have you on since, you know, everything's all done. It was the, it was the right time, I feel. It was the only time it could have worked. <laughs> technically true, technically true. You know, especially because we've actually had, I think, every other player character of the main group on the show at this point. You're, you're the last, but not the least, certainly. Ah, that's that's appreciated. And yeah, gosh. Well, I mean, we had, we had a lot of people on throughout the years, didn't we? But, yeah, not all of them made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Happened. I mean, kind of the nature, right, of like running a long-term campaign is, you know, it takes a little while, I think, to find kind of like a permanent cast, as it were. And there's like that, that awkward stage during the first, you know, I don't know, first handful of levels where you have people who are kind of uh, cycling in and out, you know? Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder what it would be like if uh, they could start a little bit later and then when they get to like have a real feel for their characters, get into the meat of D&D, maybe it would keep them more invested. But uh, maybe it's just uh, something else you're in the future. Um, well, I mean, we started at level one, right? So I don't think that the, pro- the reason that those people left, right, a lot of the times has very little to do with their investment in the character or the campaign. I think a lot of the times it's just external factors. You know, not to get into like their personal lives or anything, but um, basically everybody who didn't show up for like secondary games, um, a lot of times had just like other, per- you know, um, other, uh, you know, personal investments or, or situations that kind of prevented them from attending. You know, Danny, real life, taking so many good people from us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to, uh, I guess, ask you first. Uh, did you want to kind of introduce yourself uh, to, to our guests? Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we know that you're in the, the our personal campaign, but uh, anything else you'd like to, to share? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Nicholas. Nick, for short. No other names necessary. Oh, and I think I've known you the longest. I think, actually, it was you and me together who really started the D&D campaign. Uh, you brought in Greg and... Andrew, I brought in Alex, and just went from there. And I think it was uh, definitely uh, the best thing we could have done. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I remember initially we had kind of talked about it at work before I had invited you, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, we uh, had discussed like mutual uh, hobbies and such, and that became one of the, the paramount ones. I just recently started watching Critical Role for the first time, so it was high on my list of things that I had to do was to play D&D at some point. <laughs> I think I uh, <laughs> might have asked like half the people at the office if they wanted to join us as well, but uh, it worked out. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, um, so our campaign was your first campaign, is that right? That is correct. And so far, the only campaign. Oh, I so see. You, uh, you haven't been two-timing on me. Not yet. Allegedly. <laughs> I, I, I have more, uh, more faith in that. Right on. Yeah, eventually I uh, plan on trying not to DM roll myself or join another campaign with people local in Vegas if I can, but it's always good to have uh, the original campaign. For the sure. Party. How do you think we stacked up to Critical Role? Uh, I think we definitely had our moments. Sure. Like, it's a pity we couldn't <laughs> record the entire thing because uh, 
I'm glad we recorded the last session for sure because I, I think that was a nice chance for people to, to shine and really get in there and just work with something <laughs> pretty fucking, oh, pretty, uh, pretty freaking great. Yeah, it's okay. We can swear. You're, you're allowed to okay. say fuck, I promise. I said PG-13, but you can say fuck. They only get one fuck. I said but, not and, but. Oh. So the rules of PG-13, but you can also say fuck. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, very cool. So, um, do you want to introduce uh, your character, Arnon, kind of uh, as you originally concepted him, and then perhaps uh, as he eventually became? Oh, sure. I think I saw the notes I had from that originally. Do you really? That's incredible. Uh, if I don't, it's only just because it's not on my phone anymore, but I'm positive it's somewhere, like in a, a file somewhere. Of like old D and D information. So you haven't Can experienced I? this yet, but one of my favorite things in the world, um, when it comes to like moving or like just clean, you know, doing like spring cleaning and stuff, is stumbling across old campaign notes. I, I can't tell you how often I'm like cleaning out my closet or something, and I happen across like, oh yeah, I remember this note from a Star Wars campaign from you know <laughs> two decades ago or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had because I found your old map that you first put on paper, like the original map of uh, Dega with all the continents. Oh, really? And I've been looking for that. Wow. Yeah. It's in my uh, one of my uh, notebooks. <laughs> like, I, I used to take daily notes. Like, uh, every week we'd have sessions and we'd... Uh, God, I miss those days, but I would have new notes for every single session of like, okay, this new character, this new place, this new thing, this new enemy, what do I do? You know, just everything I could keep track of. Meanwhile, my Roll20 thing was much more sparse. Like, I, I couldn't tell you half the people that we have... Uh, met in our journey just because like it, you don't keep track of that stuff as much when you don't have pen to paper to like keep it all jotted down mm -hmm. so you're a much more meticulous note taker in person yeah i would say so I, I kept a lot more notes and plus when you start writing something out everybody else is like oh shit i gotta write that down so i think it helped to keep like everyone like focus on that that's the thing i really miss most about the uh, the tabletop games we were doing before because you know you had that investment in like everybody around you like you had that like face-to-face -face contact you know it was more expensive for me, certainly, because I spent a lot of my own food, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely good times. Yeah, I mean, like, live games are just a whole vibe, you know, and it's easy to forget what that feels like, you know, when you play online games, because, like, it is similar, but it definitely is very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the point in the Critical Role Season 2 campaign yet where they eventually go through COVID and get away from, like, face-to-face -face meetings, but I'm sure it's going to be a, a big change. Uh, but to answer your question about who Arnon was, uh, Arnon Longcross was his original name. And I gave him several fake names because he was supposed to be in hiding. Uh, Arnon Orling, Arnon Arling, I think it was. Uh, that I can't remember everything. There was too many. But yeah, he was basically a human fighter, basic bitch character. Used a sword, so you know, very, very basic. Like, we're talking like white bread... Uh, spice of any kind above uh, salt was just too much for me. Like this was this was very basic. And oh, it was you. Yes, thank you. You you hit the nail right on the the, the sore spot. You're anyway, kidding. it was just Nick with a sword. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it was it was easy. Like the joke was right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. I said it for you technically. I mean, in in your defense too, right? I think that's a pretty common experience for players to just play themselves, but in a fantasy mm -hmm. setting. Um, for their first character, so like I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of for that. 
Precisely. Not even just first character. I'm still playing myself, but in a fantasy setting. <laughs> just outing yourself casually. Yeah, bro. Like, are you trying to tell me that Viz isn't just me, but slightly less of a dick? I, I couldn't tell that second part. I think he's just as much of a dick. Wow. <laughs> now you're calling me a bad actor, too. That's crazy. No, I'm just calling you. I'm just saying that you're a better person than you than you claim you are. I don't think that's true. Fake news. You have a good heart, Marvin. Don't don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's in a jar somewhere. You just have to find it. Just call no. Me <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, Arnon was very much just like first time player throwing it out there, just to have something simple and easy to use. And I had no interest at all in starting with magic characters or anything like super intense or convoluted like that. He was just a guy going off on a, an adventure to get away from what he thought was a bad past. Bigger uh, truth to that than he realized. And he was uh, just going along for the ride for the most part for a long time with the campaign, just like doing what he could to take out people he thought were assholes and taking care of his friends. And it definitely evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And no small project to your uh, DM uh, uh, machinations. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Um, so... Those first couple of, uh, I guess it was first couple of years, right, where you were just kind of along for the ride, kind of, what was your experience with that? Because I know that, like, it, you know, obviously watching everybody else's story play out, I'm sure a lot of it was just kind of waiting for your own for your own shoe to drop. Well, part of that was also just because I was, like, I was basically just edging Arnon along, like, okay, is he or isn't he going to, like, step into his own backstory at all? Like, I, I, I had the very bad trope of being like, oh, I'm the mysterious guy who isn't going to tell you his past because I doesn't want to lead back to him in any way. And that was honestly, I think, one of my weakest points in the early games. Yeah. Because I, I enjoyed the action scenes, and I was doing everything I could to be, like, interested in, like, the fighting, like, how to do things like that, mm-hmm. especially when I turned magic into it. But roleplay-wise, I definitely, 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 definitely improved over time with that. And actually getting into, like, the meat and potatoes of playing D&D, not just playing uh, Stabby Stab. Stabby <laughs> yeah. Stab, you can play all day. Yeah. You know, I love a good game of stabby stab, but when you have to sit down and talk, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, for me as a DM, one of the cool things has been, like, watching you and, and Andrew kind of evolve as players over time. And, like, Andrew's been fantastic. Oh, for sure. You know, absolute dream to play with. Um, but, you know, yourself, too, like, you've also, like, one of the advantages that you had, I think, over Andrew is that you were a lot more familiar with, like, classic fantasy tropes going in than he was so you had a little bit of like kind of pre-existing knowledge i could lean on to kind of communicate certain ideas to you but it's been really cool to kind of watch you kind of evolve as a uh, as a role player certainly and kind of get more comfortable kind of um slotting yourself into the situations and i think you've kind of hit the nail on the head that like it was kind of like an early background trap because i feel like a lot of times when the other characters in the group did try to kind of probe into your backstory you were too much in your like no, I don't want to share anything. And eventually they just stopped. <laughs> they just stopped trying to ask because they knew you weren't going to reciprocate. Yeah, but to be fair, I think that actually had like an incredible like fulcrum to what ended up being the, the truth with, with Arnon. That was, <laughs> not to say this is his truth, but it was just a mind fuck when you finally gave that, that little uh, Arnon moment with John. It it did eventually work out. I I definitely agree with that. It was a beautifully uh, made uh, 
house of cards that was built a little bit sloppily at the bottom edge, but it built up perfectly. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it worked out for sure, but it's, it was just one of those things where it's like, I think the backstory I initially got was, you know, pardon me for saying so, but I think your initial backstory pitch was a bit of a mess. No, no worries. I, I agree. I didn't know really what I wanted to do with it because I thought, okay, here's an idea. I'm going to run with it, and then I keep running, and I'm holding it, and I'm like, God damn it, I don't know what to do with this thing. Do I put it down? Do I pick it up? Uh, it's like running with scissors. You know, it's going to end poorly at some point. But it was still a hell of a ride, and I'm glad I took that first step. So you were playing fighter for quite some time. What was kind of your the impetus for wanting to take your first level of sorcerer then? Feeling like I didn't really have anything other than saying, I'm attacking, I'm attacking again. Like, you can put flavor on it all you want, saying, I do this. I slash him across the eyes. I turn around to a pirouette and just stick my sword up his ass. But, you know, you can only do so much with that. And I saw, like, Ollie was lighting buildings on fire. It was actually kind of alarming. He was kind of an arsonist. Uh, but <laughs> I thought, you know, that could be me. That could be me. That could be me someday. And I thought, how can I work that? Because I don't want him to just pick up a spell book. Because that seems like kind of, uh, like, uh, you know, anybody could do that. What if it just snapped his fingers one day and suddenly, oh, he's shooting lightning from his hands. What the fuck is this? Mm. And (laughs) it uh, worked out in a way like where it just flowed naturally from there. Like I felt like it made sense that he was both like a talented swordsman, but he also had magic not to be like a power gamer or a Mary Sue kind of guy or Gary Stu. It just it made it seem much more interesting that he was adapting to this new change. Sometimes (laughs) for the worst, because... He caused quite a few uh, enemies to dislike him because of that. Mm-hmm. The uh, the ship captain, uh, th- that guy he tased. Yeah. The uh, there was uh, the assassin Alton. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that Alton moment was definitely not. Uh, it, it went worse than it should have because Arnon thought he had a way to track this guy. And instead, he started a solo counter with no armor, no weapons, and he just got the shit taken by an elder brain. So, yeah, I mean, that that's all true. But also, like, for me, it's, like, maybe, like, top five moments in the campaign for me personally. Oh, I agree. I love that moment. That's why I had the art made of it. Because <laughs> I just, like, oh, wow. Honestly, that was one of the best games of the night, too. Because I, I feel bad, kind of, because I took, like, two hours just of me fighting this one character, mano a mano, while the rest of the party was just watching. It was a bunch of Dustin's annoyance, I think. But it was definitely, a, a, like, a nail-biting moment for me the entire time. Yeah, and you nearly died there too, right? I nearly died many times in the campaign. That was when I was sure I was dead. Like, I thought the moment that his uh, ambulance struck me with lightning and he was after me, I was like, oh, Arnon has just gotten himself killed. Damn. <laughs> if I remember right, I think you were saying, I'm dead, I'm dead. <laughs> I did. I, I imagine Arnon running down a hallway panting with no fucking armor on, no sword, and he's just sweating like, dead, 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 dead. <laughs> I mean, you did have as a lightning bolt comes up his ass. You had your sword, but still, no, no I don't armor. think he had a sword on him at the time. I think he had to run to the room to get it. I remember uh, he literally had nothing. He didn't have. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. I think you got the sword out of somebody's room. Out of somebody's, uh, he, so. he he ran to his room. Literally ran down the hall. Lightning bolt ran down the hall again. Lightning bolt got to the room. Pulled out his sword and took his last vial of poison that he just dashed on the sword, thinking, "God, this is cheap," but fuck it. And just Alton just zips his head through and is like, hello, little girl. And it's like, fuck! <laughs> very fun, very fun. So, um, I mean, other than that, any other like standout moments from the early campaign? Oh, so many. Uh, the moment that, um, <laughs> that 
Chance was like, hey, I was going to come look for you guys. How about you come to my bar? And I was like, guys, I think this is a trap. And you were just like, scene change. And we're at the bar, and he's sipping his wine. He looks at us, and he's like, ah, good, you're here. And he snaps his fingers as I draw my sword, I say. And it's like, I fucking called it! <laughs> and the rage of the next session, when Dustin was just like, ah, I'm just going to have up some bar food. You and Ollie, you guys have a good time. As we're getting the shit kicked out of us by three ogres. That was not a moment that I feel very uh, positively about looking back at times, because I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking kill this guy. Uh, Dustin. <laughs> and I, can I interrupt you real quick just to say, that was a really good Dremis impersonation. <laughs> Thank you. Honestly, your best one yet. I, I've heard you do some really bad ones, but that was actually pretty spot on. That was really good. <laughs> well, he'll have to listen to the recording and tell me himself. Oh, he doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> I don't think he even listened to the episode that he was on. Um, I think he may have listened to part of it, but... Yeah, part is the keyword there. Um, anyways. <laughs> so, um, very cool. Yeah, I mean, Chance was definitely a fun NPC to play. And so, like, kind of when I look back at the campaign, I kind of like to think of it in kind of, like, some distinct arcs, right? Because initially we have our, like, first little, I don't know, kind of like Baby's first campaign, as it were, right? During the, the initial, like, I don't know, maybe, like, five or six sessions. And I'd say, like, up until when Dustin joins the campaign is kind of, like, it's self-contained thing. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I mean, the first couple sessions, I thought for sure, not to say, like, you were definitely trying to kill us, but I thought there's no way we're going to survive this because it was the infiltration of the dungeon under the city when we had to go and get that uh, that prisoner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought there's no way. There's no way this is going to work. There's no way. Oh, it, it's working. Oh, oh my God, it's working. Oh, oh, no, we're dead. Oh, he's talking to the guy, and he, he just killed him with his words. Oh, my God, we got out of that. That's... Oh wow, this is this is messed up. I don't know how this is working. And oh, we're out. Okay. I oh, Ollie burned another building down. Okay, this tracks. This tracks. Yeah, I, I saw this coming. <laughs> Would you say that was kind of like a big moment for you, um, kind of realizing that like there's a non-linear approach to to your problems? Ah, uh, I mean, I still stabbed a lot of people. <laughs> there was uh, definitely a, a nail for every hammer when you uh, when you have a big enough hammer, but I, it did help. For sure. I think that that's part of what inspired me to try certain things over the time, like talking the Neogen out of causing a TPK against her and John. That would have been, I think, a hard fight for us at that point. Mm-hmm. But I used my words and I used my noggin and uh, I nearly died, but it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to kind of talk about kind of this? Uh, I'd say like there's like for you, at least we can kind of divide your character arc into like two separate bits, at least. Um, maybe three. There's like everything prior to prior to Dominaria, where you run into John, and then there's the bit between where like your character and I guess the to the end of the um you know up until like when you regain some of your memories, and then from there to the end of the campaign are kind of like the three bits that I would kind of consider as like the main arcs for your character. Um, what was kind of your your feelings kind of going into that? situation with john and then kind of coming out of it how did you feel about that um that kind of you know retcon i guess to your character's backstory and and kind of the story going from that point uh well let me tell you what happened uh the immediately following the session with john where it was revealed who arnon was do you want to just kind of reiterate for the for the listeners 
Oh, yeah, because they don't actually know anything. <laughs> I mean, they know uh, a fair bit, surprisingly, but in case we have any first-time listeners, I always like to try and give the, the fast version if we can. Okay, for all you first-time listeners, how are you liking it so far? And imagine this. After going on three years, a little bit more than that, of your character having like this solid, like well, not solid, but like this, like you know, plain, easy backstory. It doesn't seem like it's interconnected to the plot in any way. You're just going along, having a good time with your buddies every day or every week, having a good D and D game, and you know, ending it like, oh, that was a good session. Suddenly, finding yourself told that your character was the impetus for the entire world ending, without even realizing it. All your friends have lost loved ones and home, and you feel like you just watch these people who have had a great time building up these uh, these things in their past lose it all because of you. That was pretty much what happened to Arnon one day. He uh, he got told, oh yeah, the big bad's actually your brother. You're part of the reason why everything sucks. And uh, yeah, have fun with that. Yeah, uh, good times. <laughs> yeah, definitely fun. So, so as you're kind of exiting that encounter right because basically you guys were tracking him for what three weeks or something four weeks it felt like longer than that for sure because there was definitely some gaps in there i think yeah but it was like four or five sessions right um yeah something like that right uh so i mean obviously like irl skips but you know roughly like you know four or five sessions um you know obviously like by the time you guys even face him i have to feel like the character has a, a, a pretty mighty reputation already right oh yeah he turned people into spider monsters we were very much alarmed by this guy and he ate your dog he ate my dog and i fireballed a gris because of it and let that be a lesson to you gris don't eat my dog but, huh i don't think that's how that no i i fireballed the uh the, the webbing around our no no i i know but i just i don't think that's i, I we're moving on all right <laughs> okay so... we'll, we'll cut that back no i'm not cutting it <laughs> okay. that's that's definitely staying in you don't have a choice Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so, so the fight starts, right? And we, you kind of engage in a little bit of banter, and John kind of says, "Like, oh, hey, bud, where's where you been? It's been a while. Where's where's your brother?" And uh, you know, we kind of get that that fun reveal that you know the, the big bad evil guy um, is is your brother. Um, you know, kind of. Do you want to just kind of like walk through that mind fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, first off, what happened was. I heard him say my name, and I thought, okay, wait, is this guy psychic? Is this guy, is this an illusion? What's going on here? Is this something going on with the ship? And he comes up, and, you know, he was already creepy as hell with the whole spider thing. So I thought, is this a trick? What's going on here? Why is, why is he talking to me, of all things? <laughs> what's the angle? And, <laughs> yeah, what's the angle, pretty much? And then you just drop that bomb in Arnon's lap, and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't see any of this coming. I, it was interesting. For sure, but it was also like scary as hell because it's like, what does this mean for everything that I've thought about Arnon this last couple of years? <laughs> and like, it pretty much put me on edge of like, okay, what's happening next? What's the next thing? Because uh, it was basically just everything that uh, I had built up for Arnon these last couple of years fell on its face. Like, is any of this real? What's the next thing? And it turned out nothing was real. Nothing. Except for that one girl that Arnon was in love with that he never actually followed up with. So, yeah. Not even Back the story. epilogue, so I guess we'll we'll cover that whenever we come back to the campaign. I I, I blame Mark part of that on it's really hard to flirt with you, Owen. You know, you're just really intimidating. You should tell it to my wife. <laughs> uh, I'll ask her for tips. I flirt with <laughs> flirt with Owen all the time. Oh, see, see Nick, you just have to learn how to speak my love language. Ah. 
I don't think I speak many people's love languages. Uh, I mean, you you probably speak at least one, so <laughs> can confirm. So, uh, so obviously, finding out that you're you're now related to the big bad evil guy. Uh, one thing I guess that we didn't get a chance to ask Andrew that I do want to ask you is it, kind of thinking back on your interactions with Charles. What are kind of your impressions of the character? Um, kind of going through the story, um, both kind of like your initial impression of the character, as well as kind of like where you land on him, like today after having experienced the end of the campaign. Well, I mean, I, the first time we ever meet Charles, like you said it yourself, I saw him use power word kill to just drop a guy in front of us. Like we didn't even realize he killed him until we inspected him after the fact. And Arnon was immediately, immediately intimidated by that. He thought this guy could kill every one of us without blinking. And then the first time we actually run into Charles again, it's just Arnon who runs into him. And I thought, okay, this is kind of weird, but I guess, you know, this is Owen including me in the, uh, the role play a little bit by forcing some interaction. <laughs> and uh, I thought, okay, this, this guy is kind of uh, posh and kind of a kind of a dick, but he's also uh, something we got to watch out for. I'm curious to see where things go. And throughout the entire interactions, all the way up until Bramble Branch, I basically just thought, you know, this is, this is a character who is obviously, like, heavily involved in what our end game is going to be. We have to always assume this is going to be the end thing. And I was basically like, at some point, I'm going to drive my sword through his chest. And it's going to be great. <laughs> and the very last thing we do is Arnon drives his sword into his brother's chest. And it is the worst thing he has ever done. It was great. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a moment. It was... I honestly regretted it the moment I did it because I was like, "Shit, no! I shouldn't have said sword in the chest." Oh God, I've killed him. <laughs> no, no, that was that was good. That was good. I liked that you did that. It it basically would have been like in real life, like you put a, tr- a gun to somebody's head, you pull the trigger, and you're like immediately, "No, uh, I can't, you can't take it back, though. You can't take it back, and it's over, and it's your fault, and the blood is on your hands, and you are going to live with that, however long you live." And that was honestly part of what Arn's next decision was. What he did was. Mm. Uh, basically his uh his swan song yeah and we will get to that um so what are your impressions you know kind of you know kind of, i guess reiterating the question like so what do you think of charles's character you know now that the campaign's over and you kind of have all the you know you have all the cards they're all face up tragic figure definitely went about things a little bit like hyper focused instead of like maybe stepping back and really considering all the angles a little bit but i think that's true of any any mad genius when you have an answer in front of you that you think is going to be the answer to your, to your problem. You just get hyper-focused on it, and that's his problem. And that was technically kind of Arnon's problem, too. He just he was a, a guy who wanted to do the right thing, and he did all the wrong things. Mm. And he was uh, really just tragic at the end of the day. I wouldn't say he's evil at all. I would say he was just really messed up. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it. Maybe, like, I, I definitely def- a little evil. Yeah, maybe a little evil, <laughs> but but I think that that's like more so evil due to his like rather callous disregard for the lives of everybody that he doesn't directly care about. Yeah, I guess you could call that evil. I mean, he was totally comfortable condemning trillions upon trillions of people. Yeah, eh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hard to overlook that bit, but I, I definitely am happy that you that you kind of feel like he's more of a tragic figure because I really did want to. Certainly towards the end of the campaign, I definitely wanted to paint him as someone where his motivations were understandable, even if they weren't necessarily... Um... Good? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even if they weren't necessarily good. You know, I definitely wanted his... And I and the thing is, too, is like I also was like 
really hoping that like the arguments that he was presenting to you as a character were like compelling enough for you to at least give you pause about whether your course of action was truly the best one. Well, he did. There, I honestly, um, if I wasn't as close to everyone as I was, I would have honestly considered like taking that plunge, mm-hmm. like letting letting Arnon give in to the the fact that he does he desperately desperately wants this. He, he full face heel turn. Yeah, pretty much like just turn around like. The ring is mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of like that, right? Or you definitely had that uh, that moment at the end of the campaign. Um, it was the precipice, for sure, on two occasions. Like, first when Charles drew the line, and then after, there was, like, a reasonable expectation that this, this guy, even despite the years he's had with his friends and the people he cares about, he might still decide, is this what I want or what I'm willing to do? And that was part of, like, my art and ran away with the, uh, the orange crystal for a moment there. It didn't really play out that way. He had to make that final decision. This was, like, the, this was like the part in the Final Fantasy game where it's like, are you sure you want to have this conversation? Because you can't go back and go to any other area afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, definitely, right? With the, the final confrontation zone of, um, of Raka on that dead plane uh, is definitely... It's definitely like, you know, once you pass this point, like, we're not going back, um, particularly because it was a one-way trip, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. Why do I hear N64 music? <laughs> yeah. Did, did get some great music um, from Lucas, by the way, on that one for uh, Vorpal Lance. That was tight. It was tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he posted, I think, one of them on his YouTube channel the other day. Oh. So the battle music should be up probably in the next week or two. Um, but he posted the ambient music from the uh, from the plane itself. So if you want to if you want to jam to that melancholy, it's on there now. Nice. Yeah. So I'm curious um, for you how how satisfied were you with the way that those pieces kind of fell together, like for the plot of the campaign? Um, because I was immensely good. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I mean, I was just gonna say like because. It's probably not a secret, but like I planned some of this stuff out, but not a ton of it, and certainly not as as far in advance as it probably looks from your guys' end. <laughs> well, the way I look at it, I imagine it made sense to you after a while. Like, oh, I can do this, and I think it fit perfectly. Honestly, I think that it made perfect sense with how everything plan- panned out and led up to it. The only thing that I look back on is kind of like, oh, you can tell that like maybe the uh, the writing wasn't quite there yet. Was the confrontation with Albion? It didn't really make sense that uh, Tarnan, looking back, like, why didn't he say anything to him? Why didn't he do anything to get his attention during that entire time they were in Port Albatross? Or not Albatross, uh, in... Bramble Branch. uh, Bramble Branch, yeah. But, I mean, you know, we didn't have all the pieces there yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely part of it. Um, I I think when I look back to try and, like, justify that, I don't think Albion was technically aware of your your, um, presence in town at that point. This is how like I can kind of like backwards justify it. So two twofold. One, Albion. So at the time, here's what I had that was established, right? That I knew for sure. I knew for sure that Charles and Albion had had a fight at at some point in the past. In the course of that fight, Albion had sundered Charles's spark and imprisoned him in the earth. And basically, the plot at that point was Charles was trying to get his spark back so that he could enact some greater plot was unsure what that would be necessarily at the time. But he wanted to get his spark back, and part of that was to um, ascend to godhood on on Dega. That was the plan at the time. And so when I was running that section of the campaign, 
Albion's whole motivation is that an enemy of Charles is an enemy of mine. Because Albion was aware that Charles wanted to, you know, to become a god, re-get a spark and collapse the plane. That's why they fought in the first place. He knew that Charles wanted to collapse Dago. So I think that while certainly given that your character Albion, Arnon and Albion's relationship clearly was a little bit closer later on in the campaign as it was uh, kind of um, portrayed to you, right? And I think that maybe if I had to rewrite the campaign from the back end going for, you know, back to the front, I probably would have included maybe a little bit more veiled dialogue about like maybe being disappointed in your choice or something like that. But I think that um, it still works kind of on the back end of things because obviously Albion is going to do whatever he can to prevent Dega from getting collapsed. And if that means disintegrating Arnon, then that's a price he was willing to pay. Yeah, I honestly, the, the way I told it myself that made sense was the second he saw um, Debian at the party, jazz music stopped. He became <laughs> deer and headlights focused on that one thing, and he just completely missed out on everything else. Like, God dang, how does this guy still alive? You know, I'm not focused on anything else. And then all of a sudden, Arnon's shoulder checks him, and it's like, Charles sends his regards. Because that's what Arnon actually, actually that had is what say you said. that to him. That is what you said. Uh, and, so certainly uh, if there was any ill will, or if there was any, uh, you know, goodwill left over, it was gone the minute you said that. Complete relaxing, too. I was just being a cheeky little asshole, and I turned out to almost get myself killed and also ruin any chance of communication from then on. Mm-hmm. This would become a running uh, a running theme in Arnon's story points. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there's a, for some reason, there's a lot of times in Arnon's life where time suddenly stops and his voice says, yeah, you might be wondering how I got here. It just it just works out that way somehow. No, no, we we know how you got here. It's largely your fault. <laughs> God, almost every pretty time. much. It's funny. How does Arnon always end up like at the bottom of the hill on his ass? And then he looks up and he's like, "Oh yeah, I pushed myself." <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but but that's hindsight. It's twenty twenty uh, sight, and it's got a spell check. <laughs> just oh, true. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, um, and that's kind of like part of the, like part of my DMing style, at least, is I, I try to write a lot of open questions, and then I just try to fit the pieces back together later on. Mm-hmm. So, Nick, I am curious. When do you think I settled in on the story, on like your your character's backstory? Like, at what point do you think I settled in that like I'm going to rewrite Arnon's backstory? Uh, if I had to look back and pick a specific moment, I have to assume it would have been right around the time we got to Kamigawa. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. No, no, pretty good. Pretty good, actually. Uh, I'd say... Um, I think I've settled on it for sure. Probably, like, the session after you arrived on Kamigawa. I think is when I, like, finally settled in on this plot beat. It was right... I think it was, like, the session before Marvin agreed to join. It is when I, I settled in that, like, that was what I was definitely going to do. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Because I mean, everything before that could still work with what Arnon had before. I think when he was still on Dega, all the way up to that, like it didn't need to go into any further like plot development with like Big Bad and everything else. It just it worked. But this worked way better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. It, I don't know. It was something that I felt like I needed to do um, because, like, you had been a great a great sport up until that point. I'm um, kind of just kind of tagging along, as it were, um, watching I, everybody else's story unfold. I will say it was starting to sting just a little bit watching everybody else play with their toys. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wish that were me. Up until the point <laughs> but, that Debian got disintegrated. Oh, yeah. At that point, I was like, no, 
because I was we lost like three friends that day, and I was so I was very fucking pissed. I was just like, we need to go back. We need to burn that city to the ground. We need to find that bitch uh, councilwoman. And we need to put her head on a spike and just uh, thunder and lightning and all that shit. And then it just got so messed up with the dragon and like having to like bring people back and the child soldiers. It was a mess. Anyway, that's <laughs> D&D, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it definitely feels like a comedy of errors from that point on um, for quite some time. Yeah. I love it. Uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was. Oh, sorry, Mar. No, you're good. Oh no, I was. I was just gonna say, like, it's it. It's just the way it is. Like, things either work out perfectly or they don't. But then you can figure out a way to make it. As long as you got like a good role playing, good DM, and everything, the pieces can fit. It might not look like a Picasso. Well, it'll look like a Picasso in his later years. But that's that's D and D. baby. Outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's like. When I look back at the campaign, obviously I have a lot of fond memories, right? And there's always like stuff that you look back and you're like, eh, I wish I had done that a little bit differently. And certainly the story had changed quite a bit from like the initial the initial concept um, to, to where we ended up. But I think that like I was still able to repurpose a lot of the ideas, you know, like tips for, for you know, when you're DMing your own campaign, right? Like try to write a lot of open questions that you can kind of fill in later with like character choices and Mm-hmm. you know kind of open plot lines because that's kind of how i tend to write things and you know it's not always the best but i do try to plan out some things and like kind of once i get an idea for like an arc i try to i try to maneuver the story along those lines you know you try to finesse your players <laughs> yeah well i mean I, it's not exactly more uh morally right to do that irl so i i try to just get away with doing it in the game i mean if you jangle the shiny keys well enough then we'll be interested yeah <laughs> um speaking of clackety shinies oh good Marvel. i said clackety math rocks clackety math rocks uh speaking of shinies uh nick um how do you feel about your character's kit at the end of the at the end of the campaign I- i'm a big fan uh, of like trying to come up with the you know new uh new and an- interesting uh magic items and gear and stuff so i think it was uh perfect for what he had i mean the one thing i kind of regret is that i didn't use his shield i think once in the entire campaign the ability to push him back but that's because I had so many other options for like reactions. I had so many tools on my belt that it was like there was a lot of stuff that I just kind of let fall to the side over time. Mm-hmm. And but that's just uh, I guess as you get more power leveled and up and just uh, adapt to like the, the things you have. Once I once it became a source of it, it was really just end of the game. Like okay, I can just beat the absolute crap out of you right now with all the things in my toolkit. Oh, you're attacking me? Have a shield. Here's another shield. Here's mirror image. Here's greater invisibility. Bye-bye-bye. I'm out of here. Fly away. And just, that, there were so many toolkit, uh, tools in the belt that it just, there's certain things that I just didn't use. Mm-hmm. I like the cloak of anonymity the best. That was that was tight. I didn't use it to the fullest extent that I could have, which maybe it should have been better suited in Dustin or Ollie's hands, but uh, it was fun to have it. Yeah, definitely an, a, uh, an item that I was really happy um, with how it turned out. Uh, do you want to describe it to the to the audience? Yeah, a cerulean blue coke. Very pretty. I look great in it. Brings up my eyes. And if you put the hood up, then nobody knows who you are. You're anonymous to everybody. If you walk out of the room with it down, you put it back on, you come back, they're like, who the hell is this guy? Led to some great RP moments. <laughs> I planned it out that way as well. Like, I let out the room to... Uh, go like wash up or something and came back with the cloak up like i was hung over and de- uh drummus role played perfectly with like who the hell are you and he uh, was just like ready to fight or something like that it just uh worked out perfectly mm. <laughs> yeah you probably won't guess where i got that where i got the idea for that 
Uh, I will not guess, no. You have to tell me. Marvin, would you like to guess? It's an anime. Ooh. No idea. <laughs> ReZero, of all things. Really? Oh, that's right. Goddamn. I actually texted you about that when I watched that episode. I was like, you son of a bitch. I'm Amelia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. In episode one. Damn, that's crazy. And like episode 20-something? Yeah, it was uh, near the end of the first season. It, it was at, that far. And in the beginning. It was the beginning of the season and the towards the end where they like. You really should watch Ray Zero. You should watch Ray Zero. Um, yeah, I I know. I just I, Man, I do could you know not we... continue going with that show. What what point I lost you? It. I'm curious. Uh, nothing really like was the thing that lost me. I just I don't know, man. Something about it just was not hitting the way I wanted it to. I felt that way too. It took me a good six episodes before I was like, okay, this is going somewhere. I, I went and, way further than six. Hmm. I guess I have more of a tolerance for pain than you do. <laughs> no, no, I don't I mean, think that's <laughs> I mean, like, the quote-unquote painful stuff was just, it was fine. I almost quit on the uh, the court uh, the court scene. You know the one, uh, Owen. The White Knight scene. Oh my god. Or Subaru Natsuki, white knights, in front of a room of literal white knights. You cannot imagine how embarrassed I am for you. Shut the the fuck up. The the secondhand cringe is so strong. I was was literally screaming at himself, you need to kill yourself right now and go back, because this shit shit is going to haunt you. Uh, Q, it's too late to apologize. Yeah. Ironically enough, Arnon would would probably love the ability to kill himself and go back because of all the things that he said that were so stupid. Like, the time we threw a, a, a coin at a kid's head, like, wh- why would you do that, Arnon? You I kept back doing that, it. I'm ashamed. You kept doing it. You kept throwing money at him. I was like, I, you're so happy. You, had, you like money. And I was like, looking back, I was like, God, Arnon, you were such an asshole. Yeah. How are you still alive? Yeah, you were. To basically everybody that you talked to. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> really bad. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. I very frequently asked Owen, how is Nick's character still alive? <laughs> Was this before you joined up or afterwards? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, skill, luck, and uh, grit. He just, <laughs> grit. just grits his teeth. Just Let me see on going. those teeth. Uh, he doesn't have all of them anymore. He gave one of them to De- uh, Debian after he got knocked out. Does he still have that tooth, by the way? Uh, No. Oh. No, it was disintegrated when he was. Oh, no. Oof. Okay. That's how disintegration yeah. works, buddy. <laughs> like, Since it was the tooth of a planeswalker, did it actually just spark and become a, a living tooth? No, that's not how that works. Oh, okay. It's not. Is not, there a gingerbread cookie? No. It's not a planeswalker. Yet. It's just a living gingerbread cookie. Ginger. Her name is Ginger. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, they did a community poll. Her name is Ginger, last of her batch. Oh, no. Last of her batch? That's so sad. I'm really looking forward to our return to Eldraine next year. Um, or it might even be the year after. I think it's the year after, in like 2024 or whatever. But I'm very much looking forward to return to Eldraine because I, I'm willing to put money down on it right now that Ginger is going to be a, a, a card. I mean, it seems possible. I mean, I was literally just talking about the card Ginger Brute. I didn't know there was an actual named gingerbread person. Oh, dude. Uh, so it's the um, the female gingerbread lady from the Eldraine trailer. The trailer? Yeah. Oh. Technically, <laughs> we could run into her at some point in the game if we ever come back to our characters. This is technically true. I wonder if... No, Arnon wouldn't eat her. He's, he's seen too much pain already. I don't know. Don't you think that all the magic references are getting a bit stale, though? Me? 
well, both of you, I guess. I, Mostly, I just I wanted like to make him. a really bad play on words, but you know, also a legitimate question. Listen, I like Magic the Gathering references more than I like Magic the Gathering. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Nick? I know you're not really like big into Magic, so how was that aspect of the the campaign kind of bleeding in? I mean, I know you 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 did your damnedest to get me as involved in Magic as I am in other things, and you know, God bless you, but it, it, I just haven't. I have trouble with card games, like. I played Yu-Gi-Oh as a kid, and I, I was passing at it, but I just I could never get into. I'd never played Pokemon once. I collected the cards, but I just card games for me. I, okay. I'm not a, I'm not about Nobody it. played Pokemon as a kid. Everyone collected. Nobody played. The I rules played? were stupid. I, I yeah, played. like I said, no one. The Aww. rules were stupid. <laughs> but I actually did. <laughs> I know you did. That's the problem. Uh. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the lore of it. Like, I looked up all the stuff about Nicobolus when uh, we were reading more about it. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is, this is actually rich. But uh, I didn't really know too much about it at first when you brought in the lore finally, when you were like, oh, Elbeans from, uh, from Ravnica. I was like, shit, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is why you have that book, isn't it? And it was just, it was good. It just, it was a little bit over my head. But, you know, I think it was good because it also made it so I didn't, like, have as much of it, like, a knowledge gap. Uh, there, there was an knowledge gap. Which actually made it better for me because it didn't mean that I had like a an idea of like everything that was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Which honestly led to some great moments, like when Arnon fell asleep outside in Ravnica, and you're like, you know, there's vampires out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Sleeping on the roof on Ravnica is probably not the like best strategy. <laughs> it's like not the worst, but like not the best, certainly. Definitely not the best. Q twenty yeah, detour <laughs> on like getting your stuff back. Not even all of it, <laughs> just some of it. Yeah, you didn't uh, even get it all back. That was great. Uh, the job. other problem is that Arden threw away so much money at the end. Those last campaigns, or sessions, he was just like, here, take this money. Take mm-hmm. it. Honestly, it should have set up some red flags for people at that point. Oh, no, we knew. And you didn't say anything. No, why would we? Uh, that's fair. I mean, it was pretty clear that you were going through a lot. Yeah. I, I hope I roleplayed it well. Um, I mean, I think you did okay. I'm... I'm I honestly really enjoyed your character. I'm honestly a fan of everybody in the party, which I think, like, as a DM, that's kind of an important thing. Like, as a DM, you should be a fan of your player characters' characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, I enjoyed everybody in the party. I think I liked uh, Dustin playing Dremus more than I liked him playing Devian. Well, I think his, because... his antagonism was a lot less directed at you as a person by that point. Yeah, that made it a lot easier, because it's like, okay, at some point, dude, you're going to need to back the fuck off, because it's becoming a problem. Like, it, it was it was, it was, was too much at a point, but it worked out. Mm-hmm. I helped him move three times. He never helped me move once. Let's <laughs> just, uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave that where it was, but yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, like, that was a, a recurring problem, I guess, for, for me running that campaign pretty early on, is you two did not get along very well at first and I, honestly i would i would honestly say that i don't think you guys get along all that well even now but I it's a lot better than so it was. hard <laughs> i tried so so hard i tell you what and you got so far but in the end it doesn't even matter um, yeah I, I at the very least tried to keep it like playful like okay haha we're doing this now okay oh it's like that scene in megamind where uh titan's beating the shit out of him and he's like oh, okay, now it's your turn to have some repartee. And he just starts screaming louder, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. Yes, and? <laughs> no! No! <laughs> yes, no! Yeah, I mean, kind of similar, right? But I think that's, like, that's part of... 
that's part of like meeting new people, right? Because obviously, like it's it's tough because like I'm kind of the friend caught between because I'm friends with both of you, and I've kind of put you both into this situation where I don't think either of you would have like associated with the other given the choice by yourselves. But you both are like invested in wanting to continue playing this campaign, so. Yeah, but that speaks to how great D&D is. Like, you will put up with somebody who you don't really like until you kind of do, because D&D is great. But I think that that's, like, that's two people, right? You both have to want to work towards that. And I think that that was kind of, like, the missing link for a little while that, like, took some time to to talk to Dustin about. Because I spent a lot of time talking to him outside of the campaign, trying to, like, trying to work on that. And I talked to you a little bit as well, but, um, but I, I spent a fair bit of time kind of, like, trying to work on that to make that tenable because honestly like i at, it got to a point where i didn't want to put up with it anymore agreed it got to the point where it was just like this is going to be over and done with one way or the other and it wasn't uh i didn't think it was going to be the positive side but it worked out finally which i think part of that was remote work uh, the the separation that actually worked in our favor at times Somewhat. I think it was getting better towards the end, though. Like, I mean, you know, the last, like, handful of months. And maybe part of that is because um, Dustin had, like, other stuff that he was focusing on at the time. So, like, it wasn't, like, his primary concern when we were playing. But but definitely it's, like, it's something that, you know, whenever you're DMing, like, it's something that I'm always, like, cognizant of is, like, you want the people who you're playing with to kind of get along. And... You know, as much as I really wanted your early relationship with Deviant to turn into, like, more of a Goku-Vegeta expression of, like, rivalry, it really just continued to be just antagonistic almost the entire way through, um, much to, to the detriment of the campaign, I would say. Yeah, it's a pity he turned to dust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got I mean, better. He did, yeah. He, he did get better. My favorite moment, though, was... Okay, my, my, I got two favorite... Well, okay, I got two moments that stand out for me when it comes to Dustin. Well, not Dustin, sorry, Devian. Mm-hmm. First one was when he was like, guys, guys, the clouds, they separated, the sunlight's going that way. My God's speaking to me. I was like, is that it? Like, the weather changed. Is, is that all you're doing? Is you're just going off with like that one little thing? Okay, here. I pulled out my sword in the middle of a city that we're not allowed to have weapons on. I let it fall to the ground in front of people, and then it fell in that direction. I was like, okay, guys, let's go. And I picked up my sword, and I started walking. <laughs> and he was so pissed off that I was just... Like demeaning his god's uh, actual spell gift that he he used because Arnon like legitimately didn't believe in it. It just got uh, written as like a joke for Arnon, but it was just like I thought it was like the perfect moment for Arnon to be like a bit of a like a, not like an asshole, but like just like a little bit cheeky, mm. a bit of a cheeky asshole, if you will. Uh, and, more than a bit. Uh, tomato, tomato. But my my moment that I remember with Debbie the most that I kind of like shit that was not. The best time for that was when we found his mother's grave in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he's standing there all somber. And not Arnon. I, I just said this out loud for myself, but it, it got set in character in a way because it just fit. I was like, I fucking knew it. And even though Ollie looks at me like, asshole. Oof. <laughs> and, when Ollie, and when Ollie calls you an asshole, you know you fucked up. Yeah. No, that wasn't Ollie. That was Andrew calling you an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Up, there was no accent on that. He called you an asshole straight up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I called it. I just didn't say it out loud until then. Then I don't think you can say you called it. <laughs> yeah, part of a called shot is actually calling the shot, Nick. Uh, next time. Who else has a mother that we're missing? Um, uh, you, technically. Uh, but she's been dead for years. Or is uh, she? 
Oh, God. Uh, the next campaign's going to be wild, I'm sure. Technically, Ollie never followed up on his ex-wife. I kept, I tried to do that for him. I was like, hey, guards, can you look for Ollie's ex-wife? You know, for a friend. Uh, asking for a friend, and it just never went anywhere. But, well, like in the know, post-campaign, he never, he didn't try to bring her back, which, like, I'm not sure if that, like, is throwing shade <laughs> at her or what. <laughs> I took it as some throwing serious shade. Like, he fucking put a tree on top of her, and she just made it grow. He brought back the entire <laughs> rival band, including the bassist who was married to his ex-wife, and did not bring <laughs> attempt to bring back his wife. I just imagine the bassist being like, oh, where's my wife? And he's like, what wife? <laughs> uh. Well, you see... She's not coming back. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ollie uses a wish to, like, cleanse her soul from the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you can't have shit in Brown Branch. And so, um, so I'm curious, kind of, um, just going around the table, Nick, um, obviously you've played the entire campaign from front to back, but only you, Ollie, and myself ha- have that perspective. Um, so to you, what is your... You know, well, I guess two questions. One, what is your favorite moment for each of the player characters? And two, what is your favorite moment, period? Uh, so many good moments. Uh, for the player characters, I will say, I, I think my favorite moment for Ollie, starting off, would be when he took out the Elder Brain and just had it erupt in fire and he took it down. When we thought we were fucked. Like, that was a fight that I thought was going to be a TPK. But he, uh, he got it done. It was great. This feels like a running theme with like the large boss battles. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I thought we were gonna die. It was great. Uh, my favorite moment for Devian, just speaking for like his first character, I would say has to have been kind of a love hate relationship with the moment that he calls out his dad and sets everything on fire with his words and not like an Ollie moment. He just has like a, I'm gonna stick this foot right in your mouth and my mouth and everybody else's mouth and you're gonna like it and we all had to suffer for it for like 20 sessions after that uh <laughs> and then my uh, my favorite dramas moment I, I don't well i don't really feel like i felt like as excited about some of dramas moments because i don't feel like he had as many that stood out not to say that i didn't like the character but I, I, i'm having some trouble imagining like the best scenario I, I would say that i enjoyed the moment where he was hiding in the box in the city full of the undead and he activates the trap that blows up in the zombies' faces that he'd already deactivated. That was like a, a little bit of ingenuity that I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I didn't like how he activated the cannon trap on the boat that nearly sank us. That was not great. In his uh, defense, he wasn't there for that. I was I was ghostwriting his uh, his. Oh, character that's right. Time. That's right. But I still blame him. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, no, I, I definitely uh, think he was an interesting character, and I liked uh, a lot of what he had to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Gris, oof. Um, I would say that I just liked uh, the time I found that Gris built a giant freaking Gatling gun cannon thing for like a, a small Japanese village. I thought, this guy's alright. It was uh, a laser I, Gatling gun, too. Yeah. I also liked when you pulled out the heart of the demon thing that the Emiogen sent us after that had taken the ogres. <laughs> that was... Oh god, I thought we were dead there for sure. And I'm pretty sure we were if it hadn't been for your last turn. Uh, I'm pretty sure we were gonna die, and I was ready for it. I was like, okay, if this doesn't work, I think this is gonna be it for us. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's a running theme with the large boss monsters. <laughs> mm-hmm. My my least favorite moment, I'll, I'll just go off these moment moments as well, was when uh, you put yourself in the bubble and hammed it up for the fight on, uh... The, you mean when I did fight. my heel turn? Oh, my God! 
Listen, if you can't be a heel during a tournament arc, then what's the point of having a tournament arc? Arn had the crowd's favor for a while, and then you just made him get hate mail. Yeah, but we were going to lose. Maybe? I don't know. No, we we were definitely (laughs) losing. Against the speedster? (laughs) Yeah. That that was a losing battle, my guy. Oh, but that was such a great... Oh, and that was one of the greatest moments of the campaign. I don't know if it's my favorite, but that one stands out to me as one of the, the best. Oh, I know what my favorite moment of the campaign is, but let me let me circle back to Ollie for my not to not to give like a least favorite moment like it's a bad thing, but just like the moment that made me like feel like a sense of dread. I would say my least favorite moment for Ollie for things that happened was when uh, you had the big reveal that his villain band was actually a freaking Ublek, mm-hmm. and we also oh, thought we were yeah. gonna die. I heard about that right after it happened. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Picture this. Uh, everybody except Dremus is uh, upstairs, like in the streets above, like a, a like a tunnel system, and we're all just hanging out. And Dremus decides to scoot off into the unknown and find himself face to face with a big bad boss with no backup. So Arnon gets a message or something. I can't remember how we got alerted. What, what, what was the uh, what was the way we found out again, Owen? Um, you had set up a prestidigitation. If I remember oh right. right, right, right. Yeah, that's one of the only times I got to use presentation for something useful. Um, I had to use my flight spell, and Arnon was like, you know, he's he's a tough guy. He had to carry Ollie and Moira across the city to like the tunnel system that we first used to get into the uh, the caves, and we had to like run our asses off to get to where Drums was because we didn't know about the secret elevator, and that was a fun time. Like. Mm-hmm. Watching the sessions go by and thinking, "Oh shit, Drum is gonna die. <laughs> Drum is gonna die," and Dremus. just barely. You're saying? I said, "Rip Dremus." Yeah, it was pretty much like that. Honestly, that was the session I knew we were gonna die. It was like when uh, Arnie got mind controlled by the Ublik and was just <laughs> beating the shit out of everybody. Is like, I've always wanted this in a way, but I don't want this right now. Can we can we hold <laughs> off, Owen? Give us at least another year. To- one more day come on <laughs> that was really close too you guys that came down to the final round of combat actually wow um, like like it was the the um the elder ublix was at like maybe like 15 hp or something and moira was the last character alive everybody else was down at zero hp in rolling death saves and moira was at like I want to say like twelve or something. Like, and it just so happened that she she was ahead of it on the initiative and, and was able to roll to attack, uh, roll her attack. So, yeah, that was intense. Yeah, that was tough. <laughs> that was real tough. Um, so I think that's that basically is all the main player characters um, from the from the campaign. Is that right? Uh, My favorite moment for Jay was when she took an arrow in the throat. I wasn't <laughs> even there for that. I was in the bathroom. I came back. Jay's dead. What happened? I don't know. There's this new guy. He just stepped over a body. Arrow in the neck. Um, yeah. I, I'm usually not a fan of like killing off like X player characters, um, despite <laughs> me having done it twice now. I, I'm usually not a huge fan because I, I like to leave the door open for that player to come back at some point. Um, yeah, but that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. In that case, I made an exception because <laughs> like I, I was very, very sure that they were not going to be returning. To be fair, if she did show up, it would have been a surprise for both us and the characters because. Jay would come in with like a giant hole in her throat, like, guys, you left me there. I also feel like she would have been surprised, like IRL that she was there. Like she'd wonder how she arrived. Like awkward. <laughs> <laughs> how did I get here? Um <laughs> so, questions for later. For sure. Um very cool. And so is there like a standout moment in the campaign period? Like a favorite moment overall? 
like you know five and a half years oh, yeah yeah uh, i mean there's tons like i could go on one of the moments that i always come back to is it's kind of like the entire event was the fight to take back bramble ranch we go through the entire city we have multiple encounters and it was badass and we got the shit kicked out of us but we thought okay we're gonna make it and then you said oh by the way the little fat kid just got turned into a jello pudding and he's uh turned into a giant blood elemental good luck and the <laughs> jazz music stopped that day <laughs> oh man that was so fun that was so fun to organize because like i was planning that for quite some time and i think that was one of the first major fights we did online too right it was it was and i the visual i had in my head of this is this god-awful giant behemoth of blood and death and just swirling all over in the air and it just lands and we all look up in silence as the snow falls and then just lets out a blood-curdling roar that makes us all shit ourselves like wow this is a bad way to die and it's looking like it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and then just through process of like events arnon ends up saving the day by nearly getting himself killed again by racing across the city with a blood element to hot on his ass carrying a broken ass bowl just to burst into the uh the, the lake like that was uh easily one of my top five moments of the game i would say maybe third at this point yeah that was really fun and i also really liked it because it was kind of like a fun it was a fun story that were like it turned from this like three front combat you know where there's like multiple you know, that's all I'll say it was like a forefront combat where you have like these different groups of people who are like converging on this this one building into like everybody fights the blood elemental now because everybody properly recognizes that like th- there is no there there is do- there is no tomorrow as long as this thing is alive. Well when somebody think of the children aren't and thought as several children got skewered at once, like God damn Owen, you killed a lot of kids. And oh that's uh that brings me to one of my favorite moments as well. When we go to the Hag's hut or the, the Hag's cave, and I start attacking it because I know it's fake without you having to tell us it's fake, the little uh, illusion kid. I was I was immediately skeptical of that shit. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. So you guys had um, had bumped into the um, into the uh, Hag that was inhabiting Devian's place, old childhood home, and she was like, I need you to go kill my sister. And you're like, sure, okay, we'll go do that. I mean, technically, there was a part where Devian threatened the hag um, and then yeah, was sure. brought to heal. But after that, you guys negotiated the, the hag. Uh, you negotiated with the hag and, and went to go kill her sister for her. And I remember you guys had, had went into the hag's, like, lair cave or whatever, and there was, like, a little child there. And you immediately, like, I didn't even get a word or two out before you're like, I'm going to frost, I'm going to ray of frost it. And everybody at the table's like, Nick, what the hell? What are you doing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it just disappears. And like, oh, okay. And it was, like, one of the few moments in the campaign where you definitely were vindicated. <laughs> I was vindicated on so many occasions! That time with Chance at the bar, the little ghost kid that was actually a hag. There were many times where I saw the right on the wall and nobody listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed when that happened because I was like, guys, this is clearly too creepy to be real. <laughs> uh, ding. <laughs> so Yeah, you kill a lot of kids, Owen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, there was a fair number of them that uh that did not make it to their to their next birthday, that's for sure. Ah, uh, God rest their little souls. <laughs> Owen hates kids confirmed. Yeah, and yet somehow I have one. There you go. Uh, but yeah, that, definitely some badass moments of the entire campaign. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I can't really say anything bad about the any moment of the campaign. It was always like a, a heart-stopping moment at some point or another. Uh, the only time I ever feel like there was a bit of a slog was when we first went to Ravnica, I think. It, feel, it feels like it kind of like dulled there for a little while. Am I, am I the only one who thinks that, or is there any points that you thought were sloggers? Um, no, not really. I mean, when we went to Ravnica, it was kind of supposed to be a slow point of the campaign. Yeah, it was like... just, I think part of it was just the, the gaps between play, too, made it feel like a little slower for me. That's probably fair. I mean, it certainly didn't help, that's for sure. Also, like it's kind of not fair to ask Riss like if the Ravnica bit was kind of slow because like that was his character's motivation <laughs> to get Very back true. to Ravnica. So it's kind of like, hey, you know, Marvin, when your character finally achieved their their goal, you know, was that a little bit slow for you? Because it felt slow for me. Was was your uh, moment of success boring at all? <laughs> yeah, fair but I was happy for you. I was. I, I was very satisfied when we got you back to Ravnica. That was a. Uh... Uh, I thought it was a little bit too easy that you got your thing done, but like, eh, I guess we'd known each other for a couple months by the time we got there, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. It it's not like it happened immediately, and also like, my character was just stranded. Yeah, but you made it out okay. Eventually. Oh, the, okay, the circus on Ravnica. That was the moment that. Uh, uh, my favorite favorite moment throughout all the horror of the circus was when I told Chris. It's okay, buddy. I'm a planeswalker. If I need to, I'm just going to planeswalk away. And Grist asked me, well, you can bring me back too, right? I was like, hmm? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, and then I sent that poor ogre to die when I told him that uh, Raptors wanted to see him. Yeah, that uh, probably didn't go well for him. Can you yeah. tell us what happened to that guy? Because he never showed up again. I mean, do I really need to tell you? I'd like to hear the details. I mean, I'm gonna horrible? say he probably got eaten. Oof. Sure, we'll Poor go bad. with that. Is there anything that we missed as players that you were really upset about, Owen? I mean, you missed the Elder Ublix the first time you guys were in Bramble Branch, so like that and was kind of a. Bummer. How could we have possibly found that? What do you mean? How could you have found it? There was a, <laughs> there was a lot of clues that the that the rival band was not like okay. <laughs> I just thought it's because they were British and weird. <laughs> I don't so know. So it's only. Yeah, but he's part of the crew. You can't be weird when you're part of the crew. That's not how that works. I don't know. I did not keep enough track, apparently, because I didn't think there was anything off about him until you were like, oh, yeah, and they suddenly turn into good. Not, not the that fact, point, I knew not the fact that they were the like focal point of the of the elder brain, <laughs> of like their plan to, to I mean, distribute pop music to... I w- at that point, I'll be honest with you, Owen, I completely forgot that that was the biggest issue. I thought, well, maybe he just doesn't like Ollie, which... I mean, you know, I mean, that was also taste. true. <laughs> oh, you know what? I never, I never thought to ask. Why did that one factory owner like Ollie so much? If the entire uh, population forgot about Ollie, how did that guy get immune? Was it his top hat? Well, you have to keep in mind that guy, th- that factory owner, was on another continent. Fair enough. The the elder brain is only operating in Bramble Branch. This was a problem that was isolated to Bramble Branch. Makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes I think stuff out occasionally. <laughs> A little bit. Um, <laughs> so, um, very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as far as like major stuff that you missed, I can't really think of anything offhand. A lot. The way that I tend to run my campaigns is when you guys miss stuff. Like, if it's critical, you don't miss it, and if it isn't critical, I use it. I use it again later. That makes Reasonable. Sense. Um, 
Like, you guys did technically drop the entire original plot of the campaign, but, like... I mean, to be fair, I wasn't there for that. I was sick that week. And then I came back, and uh, Dustin was like, we gotta go. We gotta go right now. We gotta go across the continent. We gotta go to another continent. And I was like, guys, wait. Shouldn't we talk about this? There's a giant tower. No, you were there for that. Was I? I don't remember. It's... I, oh, I was I wasn't there when they sold the spear, the blood spear. Okay, that that annoyed me. But. Yeah, that you weren't there for, but you were definitely there when you guys decided to leave um, to leave Sequester to drop the current plot and go follow Devian's storyline instead. Pretty sure he just went, and we had to follow him because <laughs> I I really didn't feel like we should just go across the continent and leave the 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 plot we had there. Like it was still brewing, but you know it worked out. Yeah, well, like, you guys gave, like, did the handoff of the MacGuffin to Charles, and Devian's like, yeah, I have a really bad feeling about this. Like, we have to go stop him. You know, I don't know what he's going to do, but it can't be good. And, like, you know, cue the, like, next six interactions you have with him are basically just you guys sharing a, sharing a nice meal or something. <laughs> yeah, Shepard's Pie was great. Arna had a lovely time. He get, got a bag of holding, and then Devian took it for himself. <laughs> yep, was, uh... and promptly lost it. Oh, that that is one of the moments that I will always rue. I hated that moment. I was so pissed. I loved it. I was I was fucking livid. I loved That's, it. As I honestly is. spent at least six sessions after that fuming at the fucking You're mouth still mad about, about that. it. What are you talking about? I'm still mad about it. Still mad. I'm so mad about it. I lost so many things that were in that bag. Oh, that was such a pain in the ass. I mean, he lost stuff too. Yeah, but he just fucking threw everything away. It's like, oh, there's a giant dragon in front of me. I better drop our entire bag of holding on the ground in the sludge amongst a bunch of other shit, and then Well, he turned it, it inside out. It wasn't like he just, like, dropped the bag. He, he turned it inside out to try and distract the dragon. It was a it, reasonable course of action. I don't believe it worked, did it? Um, no, it did. It did, like, distract it a little bit. Uh, it, it, it just... That was the most... One of the, well, I, there were so many intense moments involving uh, circles. Uh oh god the the moment where um the dragon was just tearing through the rocks we barely got out of there mm. I I think Moira flicked it off as we were leaving too that was great yeah definitely uh definitely a highlight for sure um I guess the other thing you guys didn't pick up on it was like obviously the like the missing plot lines from the player characters who exited the campaign yeah I always regretted that a little bit but like what could we do. Yeah, like, there wasn't really much to do. Like, there was the, the plot thread with, like, Greg's character that we didn't pick up on that I may end up using again for um for uh, the next campaign if we end up using Dig as a setting again. All um, I remember about Greg is he had a way with words. He did have a way with words, and he had a really fun backstory um, that, that I really, really enjoyed. But I don't want to, because I may end up reusing that plot, though, so I don't want to necessarily get into it here. Fair. So, but yeah. Yeah. So I guess my next question then, because I do want to spend some time talking about the final combat encounter uh, of the campaign and getting kind of your feedback on it. Um, but uh, outside of, well, I guess like encompassing the entire campaign, do you have a favorite combat encounter that stands out? Or if it is the final encounter, we can just jump into that. <laughs> I mean, the uh, final combat encounter was something else. That, that, was, that was great. But I definitely think the Blood Elemental leading up to the final escape scene with Arnon racing across the, the, uh, the street... Almost dead, and then you still landed a slam attack on him that put him on the pavement and bounced him like a fucking bouncy ball. That was pretty intense. Mm. The fights with Alton, both of them, were just... I, honestly, Arnold should have been dead that first fight, I believe, because uh, Alton was going to miss a step away, and then Devin was like, I'm going to uh, counterspell that, so he has to stay right there next to Arnon so he can cut his throat. I was, I, I think that was the one moment I regret like at the table. Like 
I showed my like frustration there. Like I just threw my phone on the ground like, shit, you got me killed, buddy. But uh, it was a great fight leading up to that because like, the dice were not in my favor that entire game. I, I rolled so many ones. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough, that was a rough I, combat encounter. It was... If uh, there was... Oh, sorry to cut you off. You, you were saying? No, go ahead. If there was ever a game the entire time we played where the dice were just saying, you know what, Arnon is going to get the shit kicked out of him today. He's going to get his fucking face pummeled. He's going to get killed. This is the day we're going to do it to him. Although, <laughs> although the Ropers in the, the first cave also had the same trouble. Because remember when Arnon was, uh, he was taped to the uh, Roper and he just could not get away? Yeah. I rolled so many ones that game too. I, those dice were cursed. I threw those dice away, I think. Yeah, they were aquatic ropers, so like you were also drowning at the same time. <laughs> it's like, just pick them up, they didn't kill me already. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, you. Uh, My favorite is that I, everybody else escaped and you were just still stuck underwater. <laughs> Twenty dog paddling past me was the moment I was like, okay, I'm probably going to die here and it's going to be horrible, but I have to laugh at this because this is just ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that first encounter with um, with Alton um, for the the audience to kind of set that up. That was um, Port Albatross. It was kind of like on a uh, on a, it was like a gate situation where there was a a a, a gate that Port would Coles. like huh yeah portcullis there and basically like the the combat encounter started with the portcullis falling down and trapping you underneath it. Oh, and yeah. half the party was on one side and the bard was on the other um and you were kind of you know stuck in the middle so um you spent those first like two rounds i think trying to like make a strength check or athletics check to push the gate and then once you finally made the check you got to decide what side you rolled onto. yeah um, and obviously i can't leave ollie behind like he's squishy <laughs> yeah and he definitely was was going uh going uh toe-to-toe with with um alton there in that moment so it was it was definitely supposed to be a, a pretty cagey fight you know honestly it was like it felt to me like it was like a penultimate episode of the season like oh yeah these guys are gonna get their shit kicked in just like everybody else who goes up against the heroes and then arnon just got his oof. He got the business. Alton gave him the business. He gave him the deed, the title, and everything else. And he just said, here, you know, make it what you will. And he made it a sword thrower on his chest, pretty much. <laughs> and all those archers, too. That pissed me off so much. I was like, god damn it, can I please heal? And you just said, okay, here's five more archers. <laughs> god damn it! And the lightning, just the, all the lightning. Come on. That was, that was uh, definitely you trying to kill at least one of us, I felt like. Um, but the- so designing that ca- that encounter, it was a couple things. One, I I thought of the idea of doing the the portcullis trap, which I, which sounded really fun to me. Um, two, like I wanted to really like, kind of demonstrate that these were like a cut above the normal kind of like encounters that you've had, and these were like I think some of the first characters that you were fighting against that really like used magic like a, like heavily up until that point. I think a lot of the encounters that you had had with um various you know monsters and such like they had magical abilities but like this was the first like humanoid opponents that you had that were like actively using high level spells you put a cigar out in a baby's face to start the round and that was the moment arn decided i'm gonna kill this guy so i walked up all confident and like i'm gonna i'm gonna kick the shit out of you buddy you you got a sword great i do too and i've got magic and alton was not phased and that should have been the warning that should have been the moment <laughs> i was like yeah, that should have been like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and then uh, a couple rounds later, and Arnon's bleeding out, and I'm like, okay. 
Uh, I've made a I've made a terrible blunder. Uh, I bit <laughs> off more than I could chew, but I'm still standing. So you know what? Let's see where the dice go. And uh, there's another natural one. Okay, great. Can can you guys help me? I call out to Dustin and uh, to to CC as they take out their druid, and they just watch as Arnie gets slaughtered. Uh, good times. Yeah, if I remember, I think like Ollie was like in the process of trying to like raise the gate too. So like, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of just by yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it was literally like, uh, you're going to hold the line, buddy, right? And like, I, I am the line. You got this, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't got this. <laughs> it, it literally would have been just Arden putting a thumb up like, yeah, I got this, as he gets his head twisted around. And the text goes, he did not have this. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, added bonus made you definitely paranoid of owls for the longest time. Yeah, that was a, honestly, I felt like it was a bit of a joke at times, but also I, I was definitely not going to let it die because it, it, it could be the day that they all came. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, the second encounter with Alton, honestly, was the thing that threw me for a loop because I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a nice, relaxing RP session in the bar, maybe get some info on what's going on around town. We're big damn heroes, yada, yada. And then you have Alton show up at the bar having a drink. Yeah, he's just sitting in a booth, having a good time, laying low. Just, the guy who gave Arnon so many cigars and so many tra- uh, flashbacks and so much trauma <laughs> is just hanging out. And honestly, that was part of uh, like the, the roleplay thing that I and thought like, helped to open up as much as uh, it did with practicing roleplay. was having a conversation with somebody that in character you want to kill, but out of character I am just sweating. <laughs> like, okay, I have no way to beat this guy. This is not going to end well. But how do I stop him? And I thought, Mind Spike, it's perfect. He'll never be able to title. Thank you, Subtle Spell. Oh no, it didn't work. I have fallen for another classic blunder of doing something stupid. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I've always wanted to know your thought process behind that, that play, and I'm really glad I have it now. <laughs> Honestly, I thought, I've got Subtle Spell. I've got a psychic ability that cannot be tracked. This should work perfectly. He'll just think he's got a migraine. He's having a stressful time, you know. And all of a sudden, his necklace shoots me in the face with lightning as it did before. And I finally put two and two together. And also, Owen confirmed it. And then I started running. Just <laughs> run, Forrest, run. No, this was, this was bad. This was a moment I thought that Arnim was about to die. Like, the party is nowhere near me. I'm still beat up from that uh, encounter with the Elder Brain. I have no gear. But neither does he. He's got a sword, but I don't have anything. But also, they didn't know know where you were either. Like, it wasn't just that the party was far away. They also had no method of contacting you, of knowing that there was a problem. Like, a lot of times when combat encounters start and the party is split, like, there's usually, like, a method of communication, a sending stone, a sending spell, a message spell, uh, you know, meet me here in ten minutes, like, something. And, like, no, you guys were just split up for the day. Like, they didn't find yeah. out about it until they found out that, like, there was a there was a fight at the bar, and they're like, oh, hey, wasn't Arnon supposed to be there or something? And they, like, found you, like, yeah. nearly dead. The, I, I remember, like, I think the only time they got to do anything that day was you had uh, them bartering for diamonds. They went to Jared's, and Arnon, Arnon nearly went to hell, because uh, that was the entire <laughs> session was just Arnon in a mono-mono fight with the guy who beat the crap out of him last time with zero backup and like I think one healing potion and his sword and that was it and that fight I think was one of the greatest moments of the entire game easily I don't know how everybody else feels about it I personally think that it was one of your uh, one of your best games it was definitely a highlight for me I think that like it's 
it's really tough, like, as a player uh, to, like, this is why it's so important to kind of, like, get invested in the story of what, ev- what everybody else is doing. Because, like, that's a classic example of, like, if you only are having fun when the game is about your character, you're not going to have fun. And, like, that's what mm-hmm. I think was, was happening with, like, with, like, in that instance, why, like, Dustin was getting frustrated a bit, right? Not only was it kind of, like, a silly situation that, like, didn't, like, this fight did not have to happen. Um, but, you know, like, sometimes you just gotta, you know, you know, uh, sleep in the bed you make, right? Um, you know, the, the die has been cast, as it were. And so, like, I was having a great time with it, but, like, yeah, it was clearly, like, a slower game for everybody else, because, like, they basically showed up and got to watch you play D&D for two hours. And, like, that kind of sucks, but you know, it kind of, it is what it is in that case. I felt guilty, but I also didn't want to die. So, <laughs> it was, uh, it was mixed emotions. Yeah, like, your alternative, I think, is, like, trying to flee the bar, right? Yeah, but Arn don't run. Or, at that time, Arn don't know he can run. Because Nick the player doesn't think about that option. Yeah, so yeah. pretty much... I mean, despite that being, like, one of the first lessons I tried to teach you guys, <laughs> which is the importance of running from fights you can't win. Yeah, well, the lesson didn't stick, apparently, for a while. I think it eventually stuck, because uh, I think that uh, Arna became more adept at, like, not just thinking with his sword or his magic, but, like, what can he do to get this situation to progress without bloodshed? Counterpoint. And... Counterpoint. I seem to recall Arnon being a big proponent of trying to kill the dragon. That's because the dragon had to die. Mm-hmm. And we totally could have beat it. We totally could have beat that dragon. But did it have to die? Yeah, it was an asshole. Could so are you. The dragon? I'm not a dragon, though. Like, I can oh. only do so many asshole things. Dragons are dragons. Okay, I, I, I mean, when I say you, I mean Arnon. I know. Arnon is a planeswalker. He can cause so much more trouble than a dragon. In well, fact, I didn't know that at the time. In fact, actively has caused more trouble. <laughs> to be fair, Arnon did not remember many of those things. Uh, yeah. Listen, listen. That's not the point here. I'm asking so. you, post post campaign, did the dragon have to die? I mean, clearly not. You guys managed without killing it. Yeah, but oh, you know that actually. Well, I still say the dragon had to die, and if we ever go back, I say it does. But Owen, oh, question for you. Did the did the worlds that were consumed by the spell and were kept out of reach of planeswalkers were those in like stasis the entire time or did life go on? Um, I like to imagine it was kind of like stasis. Okay, just want to make sure because I forgot to ask that, and I'd always wanted to ask like, like was it like they just woke up from a dream or were they going off their daily lives like, oh, you guys are back? Because I wasn't sure what the uh, the actual threat was there for a lot of those worlds that have been there for longer. I figured it was just that uh, time basically stopped for them. Yeah, that was kind of how I was feeling about it. You know, when I was when I was writing it, the the one question I wasn't sure is like I didn't know what like repercussions I wanted to happen for the planes that Charles had tapped into, um, and that Arnon did. Yeah, and that Arnon uh. later tapped into. Um, I think the one that I settled on um, before the fight started was that I kind of liked the idea of like magic being like a little bit weaker kind of throughout the plane for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if I, whenever I do run another campaign on Dega, I think I may do a lower magic campaign. Like magic items might be like harder to come by or, you know, are less enchanted, but I ultimately may just trash that. Cause honestly I enjoyed like, I enjoyed 
the way that I run D D games, and I, I like the the level of magic that I tend to to put in the campaign. So, yeah. Plus, it was worth it for what ended up being like one of the greatest visuals of my entire game was Arnon just encased in green with only one world, and Charles with four of them. It was like an Infinity Stone battle in a way. It was like, damn. <laughs> This is going to end only one way, but it's going to look fucking cool while you do it. So do you want to, um, I guess this is kind of a good opportunity then to transition into that final fight. Um, for those who are interested, I did spend a lot of time talking about this fight um, on, I think it was 1.27. Um, so if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, that's the uh, episode of me and Bobby and Rob from the Stories and Sorceries podcast kind of brewing the counter, the encounter. So uh, this goes for you too, Nick. If you want to go back and listen to it um, and uh-huh. hear kind of how that how that uh, how that came about, but um, but now that we've kind of uh, had that encounter, kind of how do you feel like? I mean, how do you feel about that final encounter? Um, I'm curious to see kind of like how you felt about the the big reveal, you know, the final kind of piece of the puzzle of like what happened to to Arnon's plane, um, as well as like how the fight went, uh, challenge level for the fight, things like that. Uh, definitely, definitely a great story. The, the thread of memory that got revealed. Just cherry on top of an already terrifyingly painful sandwich for Arnon to consume, but he had to eat every bite. And it was just totally Arnon. Like, when you, you wrote that part about how he was literally the reason why his entire world got destroyed, and yada yada, your, you know, the hubris of your actions definitely, uh, has a heavy toll. I thought that was great. Kind of twofold of a reveal, right? Not only did you get to find out that like Raka was was destroyed by Arnon's kind of hubris, as it were, like disregarding Charles's uh, words of uh, words of caution, but you also got to find out that you were also the reason that you lost your memories in the first place. That it was an active request on your part. Yeah, I don't know Schwarzenegger myself, as it turns out. <laughs> Total recall. <laughs> yeah, and I, I honestly. When you told me that, I was like, damn, I really, really kind of want to see what would happen if I just joined Charles. Like, what's the worst that could happen? It's only four other worlds, and Arna deserves this. He's had a lot of pain. But then I thought, I will turn Gris and Ollie. Well, not Gris. Ravnik is okay, but I would turn Ollie and Drummond. <laughs> well, Gris was already dead at this point, <laughs> to, be, to be clear. <laughs> oh, no, this was before. Arna was having these thoughts even before when the line was drawn in the sand. He was telling them to stop it and, like, join him. But he just couldn't do it. He couldn't turn everybody else into what he was, which was basically yeah, an orphan from his home. I mean, Chris wouldn't have wouldn't have turned into an Arnon so much as he would have been like, okay, I guess we just got to kill you and just move on because yeah. we can't undo it now. Yeah, pretty much. What would your what would your reaction have been if Arnon had said okay, and then just about faced like brought Dawn down on the party or something? Like oh, that? I was I was immediately going to start attacking. <laughs> did you did you have your finger on the spell book like yeah this is good this is it Arnon make your fucking play if you said yeah okay I would have said oh and I lightning bolt right now <laughs> honestly like you've been saying it like for literally since you've joined the campaign that you kill Arnon uh, like yes. I was waiting for it to happen I was this waiting for it to happen this would have been the reveal where he was like no I didn't say I was killing Arnon I said I kill Arnon when this is over this was my prediction like I'm psychic or something uh, I told you, I kill Arnon. Stab. <laughs> Very good. I'm the future Flash, uh, but yeah, just uh, definitely it was a, a hard moment for sure. But like, what would have been the uh, 
the next beat for you in that case if Arnon had chosen to join Charles, Owen? Uh, so basically if like the party fails, cause I kind of considered like kind of, it's a binary, right? Either Charles loses and you guys restore the planes to where they were, or, you know, Charles wins, however that looks. And my, my plan of course was that like, well, if things go south and the five planes are gone, like that's it, they're burned away, never to, never to return. Um, Raka would be restored to the state that it was pre-invasion. And at that point, um, no matter what, this was going to burn out Charles's spark as a part of the of uh, the spell. So, um, so he would no longer have been a planeswalker; he would have been stuck on on Raka. And um, if he had killed the party in the process of doing this, I would have had him resurrect the party um, sometime afterwards. Um, you know, on the count that like you're his brother and they're your friends. Mm-hmm. He wakes up like a year later. It's like, oh, hey, you're finally awake. <laughs> Which just turns into a Skyrim reference. It was always Skyrim reference. We didn't know until we died. It's always been Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like all your characters die, and then it just like slowly fades to black, and then as it fades back in, you're all in a cart <laughs> on your way to a fucking White Run or something. Very <laughs> much. Oh, you're awake. Um. <laughs> so uh, Ollie just wakes up in, in Morrowind on his own. Like, what the hell? What? Where are the graphical settings? Um, <laughs> unmodded Morwen. Um, oh fuck! So, so that was kind of my intent. Is that like, no matter what, I think Charles was going to bring you guys back. But like, obviously, at that point, like it's kind of too late. Like, even if you kill him out of retribution, which like I don't, know, I don't know how you guys would have reacted to that. But like, I have to imagine you would have wanted to try and kill him at that point. But like, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Um, honestly, in, fact, the... in fact, honestly, like question for uh, this is a question I'm probably gonna have to ask when we have the entire group on. But I am curious what what you guys would have done had that been the case. Had we failed? Yeah, had you failed and then been brought back like six months later? Uh, I go back to Ravnica. We <laughs> failed. There's nothing I can do about it anymore. Well, or I hunt down Charles and you know on Raka and just we try to kill him, but. At that point, it doesn't matter if we try to kill him because he succeeded already. Yeah, and moreover, like he actively probably wouldn't have tried to resist. Kind of like Thanos in that respect. Oof. Uh, question: In this hypothetical scenario, it got brought back to the time before, before the, the Rexians attack. Nobody would know that it was Arn's fault that it happened the first time, right? Besides Charles and him. Yeah. Oh boy, Arnon would probably have. Uh, he would have probably punched Charles really hard in the face at least once. Oh, question for you. Mm-hmm. Charles was an old man, and he got his spark when Frexen's attacked, or he had his spark before that? So he got his spark when Arnon destroyed the plane, was how I kind of wrote it. Gotcha. Okay. So he sparked after you did. Um, I'm kind of like playing a little fast and loose with the timeline, technically. Because technically, if we're going by like Magic the Gathering canon, the mending happened quite a long time ago. Whereas like the campaign that I've run, the mending is a much more recent event, but still ran into the um, the uh, War of the Spark. So well, it's your world, you do what you want with it. I think it worked out well. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly just like another like bit of intrigue to to kind of you know kind of entice your your. Uh, you know, entice some questions, oh, you know. That reminds me that that's one of the reasons why I was so freaked out. It's like Charles is my brother. He's 
He's like 80 years old, man. How does that work? And then it, <laughs> oh, it just all started to fall to, uh, to place. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, it was just disbelief the entire time leading up to that revelation. And then until we finally got to meet him again at the end game, it was just like Arnon was constantly in conflict with like, okay, this is his brother, but he just swore that he was going to kill him because he just destroyed Dega and all those innocent people. And then we, it, it, it was a lot of uh, emotional trauma. There was emotional damage there, man. There was emotional damage. Emotional damage. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, there was no way that Arnie could just kill his brother. Like, this is the last family he's got. Clearly, he must love him in some way. Does his brother love him? What's going on? What, what is this all going to do? And then he finds that he's seconds away from being able to have his home back, from being able to take away all the pain, all the mistakes, just make it all over again. Just get that restart that you wanted so badly. And all it cost him is the lives of the people he cares about now. And we didn't matter. It, it was a hard choice, I gotta tell you. I honestly had like this big idea of how I would play it out if I decided to do it. And there, I don't think there was any way they could have stopped me at that point, right? Like, no spell slots, everyone was tapped. Like, um, I mean, like, they could have tried. I'm, it's rule of cool, man. I would have tried to, if they wanted to do something rash, I would have let them. I'm sure you could have. I, I honestly don't think they could have at that point, based off of where they were at physically and, like, slot, uh, strength-wise. Ollie was it like would have been a hell of... Ollie was only, like, 40 feet away from you. Like, he, they were both fairly close. Like, like the way that fight ends, right, where, like, you're you're in that moment, you're you're um, channeling all of that magic. Like, Ollie is pretty close by. So if, like, Andrew's like, hey, can I just, like, spend everything to get a ninth level spell back and just, like use a wish to stop this or something like Ooh, that would have been i i would have let it happen we should we should definitely ask uh, andrew what his his uh uh thoughts would have been in that moment like what he would have done because i'm curious yeah i mean certainly when we do record the uh, the group the group talk about this i i do want to want to come back to this um because i think that like this alternate this alternate version of events is very intriguing to me um because like it's kind of a big question. Like, I don't know what you guys would have done. And I don't know that you guys necessarily know what you would have done either, <laughs> except for Marvin, who was already like resolved to kill you, I suppose. Yeah. I was prepared. Well, Gris was dead at that point <laughs> by my own hand, honestly, which was so bad. I felt bad about that. Uh, Marvin, I felt so bad about using you as a component to stop Charles, but you, mean, you, f- you felt bad about using the idea I suggested. Yeah, I felt bad about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's like telling somebody to kill you just to win. It's like, it makes sense in the long scheme, but it, it, it hurts in the short scheme. Uh, real talk? Like, I, I was just like, we gotta, we gotta end this fight. Let's just end the fight. And we ended it beautifully. I, I love the, the way that ended. Like, the first time he tries to do it and they, they get to hand over their spell slots because I, I didn't make it that first roll. And we just barely like hold off each other, and then I decided I was going to do the same thing, and we just stomped him with so much that you couldn't do anything at the end. It was that the was power of friendship, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Fairy Tale. We need some Fairy Tale music in the the final podcast. Classic show. I'm I'm just upset that we didn't get to talk no jutsu our way out of it. I was so close. I I was so close, and then I rolled a one and a twenty without advantage. Fuck that role. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't even know what Charles would have done. I was, like, I I was never, like, of the opinion that for sure, like, he couldn't be talked down. 
But like, boy, that wasn't the rule for it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, it really was like all or nothing. Like, if there was ever going to be a moment, it would have to be a hell of a moment. And I tried. I tried really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, were you happy with the uh, the difficulty of the encounter overall? Oh yeah, it was a great encounter. I was annoyed that I couldn't be a part of it for the first part because I was stuck in the uh, the mindscape, but. Honestly, I thought that was kind of fitting, just seeing everything play out in front of me, not getting touched once, and then getting back in there ready, fresh, and everyone else has gotten the shit kicked out of them, or Devin and John are dead, and it's just like, wow, I have come at a bad time. It's like that uh, <laughs> that scene where the, the guy comes in with the pizza. And yeah, and everything's on fire. On fire. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Made of oh, community. Yeah, but the pizza is actually just emotional pain and suffering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I, I, Marvin and I were kind of talking about this the other week, and we, I, I agree with him when he had mentioned it then. But I do like that you kind of had to make that choice about like whether to continue to indulge like the uh, the past mistakes versus kind of setting it aside and kind of returning to like the present problem. Yeah, it was a tough choice all around. I don't think I had a single moment like uh, the 10 hour session we had for both those games combined i don't think i wasn't nervous and anxious for like any one of them except for like the last like 30 minutes i was just so like not in character because i'm not that great of an actor but i was just like thinking and like i'm like okay you are definitely not gonna be happy with this this is bad oh this is really bad oh oh no this this hurts oh you you really should decide like do you want to kill your brother or do you want to save your friends you have to pick a lane, you have to stay there, buddy. And then I kept thinking, well, if I just reverse course a little bit here. Can I backpedal just a little bit. Yeah, let me just let me just take back. Can I have a take back, please? No, I can't. Okay. Well, I'm on this train all the way to the end and just power through. And that was part of why I decided to take the green energy, too, because I thought it was actually going to have a detriment to the, the plane. But I thought, okay, we're on this train. Might as well just accept that there's going to be some trouble and it's going to be your fault. So... That was a badass moment, I think, when uh, the connection was made to the green plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, today it was badass. It would have been less badass if I succeeded on trying to connect to the red one earlier, because I think if I had done it first, it wouldn't have been as the whirlpool would have been stung a little bit. Yeah, but I definitely the... tried. I agree, and it actually made. Uh, I think it made sense thematically, like you didn't know the spell. You weren't a part of that like original creation, so it made more sense that Arnon had that like ability. And I think it was just because uh, of pure freaking luck that Ollie had given me the uh, the inspiration of the, the, the game before that even got to do that. But hell, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I had set the DC at 30. Like, you couldn't have made it without the uh, Bardic Inspiration. Full stop. Ooh, of course. But boy, it was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I also like Keith. Keith was great. Keith was fun. Honestly, it was a great uh, a great opportunity to have you guys uh, play those characters again. Because honestly, like I can't bring that kind of energy um, that you do to that mm-hmm. character. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it was a perfect way to send off Arnon if he had if he hadn't been brought back, which I kind of almost didn't want to do it. Like when I was standing there and thinking, okay. This is the one time I'm never going to have to make a difference for good. 
and just accept his uh, his sacrifice and the loss of his world and his brother and just give it all back. And I knew going into that, like uh, that if I could bring everybody back, no matter what happened to Arnett, it would be worth it. Just sacrifice his life and his world and his spark and all of it just to get everybody back on their feet and put the worlds back in order. That would be okay. But it hurt like hell to say goodbye to him. And then, you know, things happened the way they did. But I think it was a perfect send-off, too. Like, the whole purpose of rectifying this mistake was because of his, like, hubris and his decision to, like, take planeswalking as, like, a game. And it cost him everything. So the fact that he gave it up to save his friends was actually, I think, the only thing that he could have done right. Yeah, I really appreciate how it kind of came full circle and like that wasn't necessarily like the story i was looking to tell but i really appreciated when you decided to go in that direction um because mm-hmm. i truthfully i wasn't like i had anticipated that you might you guys might try to connect to those planes but i hadn't decided what would happen if you did up until the moment that it happened and i was like you know it'd be cool to give a player a layer action so so <laughs> um so, so i just went with that um but then afterwards when you connected to all five i hadn't anticipated that would be the thing so I was like, "All right, sure, oh, like, yeah. we're here. Let's let's do it. What do you what do you got, man? Like you 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 have the power of the of the the worlds. Like what are, what are you doing?" Yeah, um, when Arnon was when Arnon was God for a day, I was like, Shh, "I did not expect this," but then again, I did not expect expect anything. So it's okay. Ah, uh, that was such a oh god, you put way too much power in my hands at that moment. Oh, and I I literally thought I should just go for something crazy, but then I thought no. No, it's got to end. It's got to be this moment where things go. We're back to normal. <laughs> so, I, I was genuinely not sure what you were going to do. Like, I gave you guys, I gave you all the information. Um, like, there was no more questions at that point. It was strictly just like, all right, Nick, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, you get to decide how this story ends now. <laughs> <sighs> Boy, I honestly, I really, truly, deeply wanted to just give Arnon some 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 joy let him have his home back see if he could make things right with you know the people that he knew before which he just got that fresh spark of guilt of realizing he was the one who lost it all when charles put that back in his head so i cannot imagine being able to give it justice the the amount of like trauma he would have like in his mind and his in his heart at that moment with the ability to just give it all back and do the right thing for his home or neglect them one last time but save the homes of other people and all those lives that were meaningless then before, for whatever reason, but then all of a sudden things changed where he decided he wanted to save uh, uh, everybody again. Yeah, I mean, and, the way I kind of always anticipated, like, the justification for that is, one, like, you tend to play your character as very rash, and someone who acts first and then kind of thinks about the ramifications after the fact. Um, so I think that, like, when I look at... Arnon, as I kind of imagined that character prior to the events of the story, right? It's kind of like your character A is experienced, has experienced trauma and has not worked through it. And I imagine the way that your character works through it at that time is to look for a way to fix it. And I think that I don't think your character is processing necessarily everything that's happened up to that point. You know, when you kind of set that, those tools in motion. And it's only... It's only basically like as long as you have that guilt that this was your fault, I think it's a lot easier to swallow whatever the cost may be. But I think the moment that like the way that I always kind of imagined it was that once your character asks Charles to take that memory away, 
to take away that trauma and that guilt. I imagine that your character no longer has the stomach to like follow through on it, even though like you know it's still your plan at that point in time, without knowing that you're the cause of the of the devastation and knowing that you're the reason that everyone that you know up to that point is gone. I think it becomes a lot harder to justify the cost. And at that point, Charles then like wipes your memory and re- and kind of gives you the stuff that you started with um, in the campaign, just because at that point, like now you're actively trying to get in the way. And Charles knows that, you know, once you have those memories back in principle, you should be back to the person you were that wanted to do this in the first place. So, um, so in his own little way, it's kind of him trying to save you from yourself in a way. Um, in that respect yeah. question for you if we had succeeded the first time we were with jace and arnon's mindscape and we got through the entire encounter without being kicked out would arnon have learned the entire truth there for you or would you have had like another like oh your princess is in another castle moment so the only thing you wouldn't have had is why is why um it is basically you asking to have your memories taken in the first place i would have given you everything up until that i think gotcha yeah, it it was definitely a great way to end the game, the game, and I feel kind of poetic justice that it was in my hands, and that I ended up having to make sure that it was everybody else's best interest that were honored with that, because it it would have been way way too much of a, like a a dark end. I feel like if Arnold had completed the goal that Charles had set out with him for, and he did all that just to stop him and then just do it anyway, it would have been like a cop out. I feel like, but it would have felt good for Arnold at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and just to kind of like paint that picture for the audience, because obviously they weren't there to experience it. Um, basically, in those final moments, Charles had connected to four out of the five planes, um, and kind of during the fight, uh, Arnon used his turn to basically connect to the green plane, Dega, um, that was remaining and gained the you know access to that. And kind of during the final stretch of that confrontation, Charles tried to kind of wrestle control of that mana source from Arnon, failed, and then um, on Arnon's turn, which was immediately after Charles' initiative, fortunately, um, you then tried to wrestle control of the four remaining planes uh, from Charles and succeeded in that moment, uh, kind of tapping the energy from your uh, from your friends. Um, and so in that moment, Arnon then had control of all five planes, was now, you know, in control of the spell, and rather than reversing time on Raka, opted to then, uh, you know, restore the the captured planes back to where they were in the multiverse, along with sending Raka back to the mul- greater multiverse, and reviving uh, the dead party members, basically, on the thing, at the cost of his life and his spark. And then once uh, everybody was alive again, uh, the only person with spell slots and a resurrection spell left was uh, Devian, who uh, then was able to run up and uh, and cast the, uh, the uh, resurrection spell, which, uh, after a fun round of kind of having everybody say something nice about Arnon, um, eventually uh, got him to, to bring his... Uh, to, to bring him back. So Yeah, that was nice. I need something nice at that moment. <laughs> I didn't Honestly, even I say anything nice. You didn't, but that's okay. I knew you were you were, you were thinking it. Everybody else said something nice though. Oh, gosh, that Chris was, made uh... a threat. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's like get your ass back here. You're not done yet. Sure, get you're... back up, or I'm gonna kill you again. You're mentally and emotionally broken, but get back in here. We need you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I didn't say we need you. So. Oh. 
So last little bit I wanted to um, to touch on. Um, obviously, the we spent a little bit of time talking with the epilogue um, during the campaign. Um, so when it comes to kind of the epilogue, Arnon kind of goes on his like sadness quest to apologize to all the people that he that he was a dick to over the the last year or so in game. Well, it wasn't just a sadness quest. He went off to like make sure that everybody was okay to write any wrongs. Like sadness quest to me. Yeah, fine. It was a little bit of a drama queen thing. He just, he needed to do something with his life because he wasn't going back home. <laughs> do you feel like he's kind of adopted Dega as his home? Or do you feel like he, like, do you think that he, or does Arnon not feel like he belongs anywhere now? I honestly feel like Arnon doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere because he doesn't deserve to. Because he's, he's given up so much of his own life and his own home originally that he just has to like atone for it in some way. He's going to basically do whatever he can to protect everybody who deserves it, like stop the things like the dragon and Chance and everybody else at whatever cost comes to him. And if he's going to help his friends along the way, then he'll be there. But he doesn't really have a, a home that he would consider like a like solid ground anymore. He doesn't have a true north. He just has a, a quest to do the right thing. Do you feel like his... Do you feel like the relationship he has with the other party members, though, and the and the like closer NPCs that you've interacted with helps ground him in that way, though? I like to think so. Like you know, he when he, I like to think that when he saw Twinny, he he was filled with joy, and uh, Oscar and Tongarth when he got to see all those people again, because those were the first people he felt like a real connection to from what Charles did to him. Mm-hmm. So those were his friends, and then Ollie, and in a way Debian, Moira, all those people uh, are like family to him and he'll he would die from again if he had to yeah and i think that that's a i think it's a nice a nice kind of bookend for his character right like obviously like the adventure continues right that's always kind of the how dd campaigns end um mm-hmm. maybe not always but it's how, how some dd campaigns certainly end is you know and the adventure continues and yeah i kind of like that everybody kind of has like a thing going on after the fact you know Fun fact, that's how Adventure Time ends. Oh, great. I have to watch it, so that'll tell me a little bit. It doesn't tell you a lot. <laughs> Adventure Time is a trip. Holy crap. You uh, you literally know nothing about the series if you haven't watched it already. I've watched uh, up to, like, seasons. Uh, when he runs into the the big sprung lady and she tells him to go to an island or something, I that's the last thing I saw. It's been a while. That was, like, season eight, right? Yeah, I think so. That's okay. a fair bit. I only started watching it because of the Simon stuff. I, I saw the flirt and I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting." And mm-hmm. the first scene was just so it was just so ha- campy and or campy and like childish, and I had to power through it. But you know, it was a good show. I mean, it was supposed to be hammy and campy. Like, that's how kid shows generally start before they have an identity. Yeah, that's how Arnold was. First session, he uh, no second session, he got spit on by an acid thing from a a giant bug monster, and he screamed out, "My nipples!" My nipples! Did you just tell me that Arnon is a kid show? No. No, but he did just uh, confirm that Arnon, in fact, has no nipples. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's not a thing most. Them. That's not a thing most people confirm. I mean, maybe he does. <laughs> I, I haven't checked. It's been a while since Arnon took his shirt off. <laughs> Fucking Ken doll underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, what did he tell me? You're a simulacrum all, all the whole time. <laughs> the real Arnon is a real boy. The real Arnon died when the plane was destroyed. You've been a construct 
since then. I've implanted I've implanted a facsimile of your memories. It goes even deeper. <laughs> oh, that'd be a fun dark character to play. Oh, oh and remind me to discuss my new character with you when we start the next campaign. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You know, obviously, like, it's... Now that the campaign's done, it's just like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, like, now what do I try and think about? And, like, the short answer is I have to figure out how the hell I'm going to work three different pa- uh, warlock patrons into my live campaign, but... <laughs> I fucking hate you, by the way. <laughs> but I'm a genius. I, I will say, Owen, like, your game has made me spend hours afterwards, like, just listening to, like, Rem's... Uh, 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 what's that song? Uh, Rem's uh, sad song from ReZero. Yeah, yeah, over and over. That's, like, a, that's a good one. <laughs> like haunted by uh, like what just happened on so many occasions. I would just spend hours like, oh god, oh god, no, <laughs> what just happened? Just what's gonna happen? Is that, is that just what D and D is about? Is just traumatize your friends for fun? Yeah. yeah. If there is PTSD for people who play D and D, you have definitely given it to us at least once. <laughs> Don't you remember when we had Chris on? He literally was like, "Yeah," and I traumatized my friend. I, I never, I never thought that PTSD could be so fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, veterans are like looking at this, like, "You son of a bitch! How dare you!" I know. Pretty soon, you guys are gonna have like a Pavlovian reaction to hearing a D twenty hit like a, a, a desk or whatever. I mean, yeah. I already have something like that. <laughs> something, something trauma. Something, something. Why am I crying? Yeah, uh, but it, it was great. It was honestly one of the uh, the best experiences of my life, and I I could never ever uh, go back. Yeah, and it's like now that it's over, it's like well now what? <laughs> it's like we got we got focus towards the next campaign, the next one, and phase know. four, bring in the new actors. <laughs> Who in D and D's case are always the same actors, <laughs> but um, but with different costumes, um. Yeah, it's. It, I kind of like was joking before, um, maybe like an earlier episode, but it's just like I, I kind of feel bad. Like I feel like I might have accidentally ruined D and D for you because like I don't know that I'm going to be able to top that. Um, oh, I'm sure you could. G- give it time. You just have to build up that momentum again. The boulder will roll down the hill eventually, but you know the boulder. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it's, the other thing too is like obviously like my D and D like DMing style is going to be different than anybody else so if you do end up playing in another campaign i'll be um i'll be very curious to see how that how that pans out i at some point plan to host a game with me and uh, katie and a couple of other people but uh it's taking longer to get it started you know the the problem with D games i can relate <laughs> you have to sacrifice at least one human baby to get it done well on the upside you have two yeah, but I don't think she'll let me uh, sacrifice either one of them. No, you don't ask for permission. You just do it. <laughs> it's she's true. Gonna listen, she's going to listen to this in a month and be like, that's son of a bitch. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Obviously, we don't want to do that to people that we know. That's a, a very easy way to get arrested. Um, Indeed. So so with that, uh, Nick, do you have any closing uh, thoughts for uh, the campaign or, or the episode, as it were? Just... No matter what, if you're going to go into D&D and it's, it's a fun experience for you in some way, just always try and keep at it because it, it can be so much more. It really is just a life-changing experience to have that ability to adapt your character and your, your friend's stories together and just see where things go and just build that life and story together. Right on. 
All right. Well, uh, with that, I think we're going to call that a show, everybody. So, um, so as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can always catch our, our new episodes. We do release those. Um, I believe in the near future, we're going to be moving to once every two weeks, but as of right now, we're still trying to release weekly. Um, I'll keep everybody posted. You can catch up uh, updates on the show on uh, Twitter. We are uh, on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast. You can catch me at Vlad Viver. Marvin is at Tayugetsu. Um, we have a Discord. Um, there is a link to it in the description of this very episode, so if you're listening to us on Spotify, um, just pop that open. Um, additionally, if you do want to rate the podcast um, on the various platforms, that is actually super helpful for us. Um, not only do we love seeing feedback, um, but that is you know helpful for algorithmic purposes, so um, so we definitely do appreciate that. But um, other than that, you know, may your dice fly true. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, you guys will get to partake in a campaign. I have to Start planning the next one after I uh, finish unpacking unpacking this one. And uh... have a good one, everybody. Peace.